I'm your host, Ricardo Martinez. Today, I'm here with Jesse Knudsen, who is one of my favorite guests. He's, uh, what's your official title at Bitfinex Securities? My title is Head of Operations of Bitfinex Securities. Head of Operations at Bitfinex Securities. Nice. So, Jesse, how are you today? Very good, very good. Yeah, it was cool seeing you in El Salvador. Um, that was really good. That was a great yeah, trip. Was. That was a really interesting trip. What was the response for Bitfinex Securities in El Salvador? Was there a lot of excitement and anticipation around it? Yeah, I think definitely. It was really, really busy. I, I went straight from the airport into meetings with our regulators and it was nonstop. So we were meeting with people who wanted to do issuances, um, people from the policy side in government, people from the regulator, people from the certifiers. Um, it, it was just really, really busy. Um, so I, I didn't actually get to see anything of El Salvador. You know, I went to the regulators' offices, I went to some government offices, and then I was in the Hilton Hotel. That's that's <laughs> my understanding of El Salvador. Um, but it was great. I mean, one of the things I've been telling people is one of the refreshing things about El Salvador is that it just felt like people were so positive about the future um, and just so excited about what's going on there. And I think that's um, really refreshing when you compare that with a lot of other places um, globally that are you know, not quite so optimistic. So I think it was really refreshing and, and really exciting. It definitely feels like there's a buzz in the air over there. Yeah, it certainly does. That's one of the things I've noticed on both my trips there is that there seems to be like an optimism that's like tangible. You can like feel it in the yeah. air. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was really interesting. Yeah, it certainly is. So I'm going to get into my first question here. Sure. How would you characterize the evolution of security token offerings so far um, since 2022? Yeah, it feels like a lot is going on. So I, I normally characterize this as kind of three pieces of a puzzle, right? And I think we talked about this last time. So it's you know, it's technology, it's investable assets, and then it's um, commercially viable regulatory oversight. Um, and all of those things coming together, I think, are really what's important for the security token industry to achieve its potential. Um, on, on the technology side, you know, this just the technology that we use in the digital asset industry is just a step ahead of what's being used in traditional capital markets, right? So the, all the benefits that we're used to as, as Bitcoin investors, things like real-time settlement, 24-7, 365 trading, global liquidity, um, and, and all of that stuff. And, and then the stuff that's made possible by, you know, Blockstream's Liquid Network, which is a side chain of, of Bitcoin um, that lets you set up these whitelisted ecosystems so users can do things like pull their securities off the platform. They can self-custody them. They can move them around, trade them, even trade them peer-to-peer -peer in, in Telegram chats or wherever because there's this whitelisted ecosystem. Um, so the technology is is definitely coming along. Um, investable assets has been another thing that we've been putting together over the last, you know, 12, 24 months. Um, I think that's matured a lot. And then the third thing is, you know, that's been the slowest develop in the STO industry. You know, I've been looking at STOs since 2018. And I think a lot of people over that time have just been kind of like worn out because it's taken so long. But really, we move at the space of regulators. Um, and, and I would say that we've made progress on, on all of those things. So um, we've just launched a new asset on the platform, uh, Alt 2611. It's um, issued by Alternative, which is a Luxembourg-based securitization fund managed by MicroCapital, which is a microfinancing company. And it's a 36-month, uh, 10% coupon bond um, issued by, I think, a really uh, seasoned um, uh, issuer. Uh, so it's a really high quality offering and i think we've got a really robust uh pipeline of, of assets both in the aifc and el salvador that we're going to start bringing more of these kind of assets to market in the next couple of months um so i think everything is 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 maturing over time i think el salvador as we said is going to be a huge part of that pus puzzle 
um, and, and bringing things together for the security token industry. And then on the regulatory side, um, I think we've developed really positive relationships with our two regulators. Um, so if you remember from last time, we're registered and licensed in both the Astana International Financial Center, which is a financial center like Dubai or Abu Dhabi in, in Astana, Kazakhstan, and then also uh, in, in El Salvador. Um, so our regulators there are AFSA and the AIFC and then SENAD, um, the National Digital Asset Commission in El Salvador. Um, and, and we've built up really good relationships with both of those regulators. And I think the way we want to drive the business is very much aligned with them. And um, they were even gracious enough to join us in Lugano for Plan B. So we did a panel there where we had the CEO of AFSA and the president of the National Digital Asset Commission on a, on a panel to talk about security tokens. Um, so I think, you know, everything is kind of moving along on all three of those of all three of those fronts. And I think right now it's about kind of incrementally embracing the grind and then bringing more assets to the platform over the next couple of months. Amazing. I want to bring it back to something you just mentioned. You mentioned how Astana is a financial center similar to Dubai, but after yep. visiting El Salvador, um, we both know that El Salvador has aspirations to become a financial center sure. similar to Dubai or like Singapore or something like that. How would you, um, I guess, rate El Salvador's progress in that goal? Well, they're starting from, you, you know, in, in Kazakhstan, I think um, financial services are like 6% of GDP. Um, and I think it's probably even smaller in El Salvador. So they're starting from a really low base. Um, and, and that's kind of the appeal of these markets, to be honest. I think, um, you know, people sometimes wonder, why are we in AIFC? Why are we in El Salvador? Why aren't we registered and licensed in, you know, London, Tokyo, or New York, another financial center, a traditional, more conventional financial center like that? And the reason is, is that, um, you know, there's a lot of pushback from the incumbent players in those markets. Financial services are a really big part of GDP. And from policymakers and, 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 regula and regulator perspective, there's just less upside and there's more downside. And for El Salvador and for the AIFC, there's just, it's all upside for them. Um, so they're really looking to, to leverage this technology and, and develop capital markets. And I think it's interesting to watch what's going on in the more mature economies, you know, like the G7, relative to maybe what you can kind of group as like, although Kazakhstan doesn't really fit into this, but kind of the global south, like small and mid-sized economies. Um, and I wonder if we'll see kind of a bit of a divergence in terms of the regulatory path where the regulators in, in the G7, they kind of crack down, they protect the incumbents, and then the smaller, more nimble, hungrier economies they embrace this technology, um, and, and and I think that's probably where the um, really where the opportunity lies is for those kind of economies. Um, I want to bring it back to micro capital. This is one of the first, if not the first, type of uh, tokenized offerings like this. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it depends on how you define a tokenized bond. So, from my perspective, you know, there's been a lot of attempts at this, and you see a lot of stuff in the news. But when you start to dig into it. It doesn't that it doesn't look that different than the traditional system. So it's you know it, it's going from left hand to right hand. It's often going through a depository. Um, you can't self custody it. You can't pull it off the platform. You're limited by trading hours. Um, and this is the first one where it's going to be issued on liquid. People can pull it off the platform. They can put it in their Jade wallet. They could trade it peer to peer once they're on the whitelist. Um, and it's going to trade on Bitfinex security. So it trades 24 seven, um, 365. We have real time settlement. So I think from that perspective of, of kind of using our definition of what tokenization is, I think it's one of the first globally. Okay, cool. What's the response been from investors? And then have you seen other like small to medium sized businesses kind of like 
hurry to line up to to offer a similar offering? Yeah, we've got a lot of investors looking at it. And I think the reason is, is that there's a hunger in our industry for kind of um, low volatility assets that are wrapped up in the security wrapper, right? So the benefits of a tokenized security versus, you know, an ICO or something like that is that you've got a regulator that comes in and sets the rules, um, they set the guidelines, and then you have clearly defined rights and obligations. So the issuer has to do something and, and, the, and the investor gets something. So I think that's the big difference. And I've always thought that, you know, as Bitcoin price starts to go up and people just naturally want to take some, some, some money off the table, where do you put that? You park it in stable coins. I mean, things like Tether Gold are great places to park money. And I think also these low volatility assets that are, you know, they've got a certain degree of regulatory certainty around them. And then they also provide you with a 10% yield. I think these are perfect place for, for people to, um, you know, maybe put some other profits when when it starts to get hot in the digital asset markets. I think I think you're right about that because things like Tether and Tether Gold, will protect you from volatility, but they don't offer a return. And I see that as like a key differentiator here. How how would you say that uh, security tokens are increasing financial inclusion uh, globally? Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really good question. I think there definitely is an inclusion story uh, here. I think, um, you know, when you look around the world globally, um, you know, one of the one of the one of the things that we talk about often in the financial technology space is space is banking the unbanked, and it's kind of a bit of a cliche, really. Um, but I think it's not really individuals that are unbanked. We also think of it as whole regions and asset classes that are unbanked um, and that struggle to get access to global capital markets, whether it's you know small, medium-sized enterprises, SMEs, or basically most of the global south, where it's just difficult for them to access capital markets. So SDOs offer the opportunity for investors, you know, wherever they are to access these kind of high quality investment opportunities, often low volatility investment opportunities, um, where in traditional markets, the access isn't, isn't as equal. Um, and even when you ignore like friction points like accredited investor rules or foreign investment restrictions, um, many investors are basically just walled off from participation in things like private equity, fixed income, um, overseas public equity or, or all kinds of different alternative assets. So I think that's something we can do to bring um, more of these kind of assets to invest investors. And then on the on the issuer side, you know, there's obviously just silos of companies and investment opportunities in Central Asia, in Africa, in Latin America um, that just aren't very well serviced by traditional investment banks um, and that struggle to get access to capital markets. And a big part of that is because their their cost structure is so much higher than us because basically what we try and do is more directly connect the issuer with the investor so we can because we do that we can offer our services at a lower price point and then can can um, provide those services to, to more people um so yeah i think there's definitely an inclusion story uh there and our focus very much is on these kind of smaller and and mid-size economies out of these emerging economies in Latin America, Africa, and Asia, um, which which region do you see as like the most uh, active or, or most important in your opinion? Yeah, it's really tough to say. I think there's obviously a lot of momentum in Latin America, especially right now after the election in Argentina. I think there's a lot of excitement to see what's going to happen there. And Argentina is not a small country, right? It's it, it's uh, it, it's an interesting. It's an interesting development. There's already a lot of excitement about El Salvador. 
Um, you know, there's Bitcoin miners in Paraguay and Uruguay. So there's a lot of excitement and a lot of action um, that's happening in, uh, in, in Latin America. Um, you know, Central Asia is one that I think people are less familiar with. But, you know, I've been over to Kazakhstan three or four times in the last 12 months. And I'm constantly blown away by, you know, the quality of the people over there. Like the, generally, it's a very well-educated population. Um, um, and it's and the quality of the of the opportunities there. So we've had, you know, various opportunities to work with uh, government-backed entities, um, very large companies. Um, we signed an MOU in June with the Astana International Exchange, which is the conventional securities exchange in the AIFC, to do dual listings um, and to explore tokenization. So companies that have already listed or that want to do an IPO, they can also do an STO at the same time. So they're just very front foot on technology. So I think there's big opportunities there. Um, Africa is one that really interests me because of the demographics, um, you know, the population. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunities in Africa as well that I thought I would be quite keen to, to, to sniff out. Um, but really, there's just a lot of opportunities everywhere, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, last time you were on the show, you mentioned that one of the goals of Bitfinex Securities is to offer these kinds of services to Bitcoin companies as well, not just um, yeah. traditional companies that are outside of the Bitcoin sure. space. Um, have you guys made any headway with that? Yeah, we're talking to a Bitcoin miner uh, in the El Salvador regime about listing uh, a, an asset. Um, yeah, I think about what we talked about last time is, you know, during the last cycle, we saw a lot of our best and brightest, um, you know, go to the NASDAQ and IPO and the NASDAQ. And I've always felt that that was kind of frustrating. So, um, you know, Coinbase, you know, love them or hate them. They're one of the biggest companies in the space. They've got, you know, a huge number of users. They IPO'd. Basically, all of the miners went and IPO'd on the NASDAQ because the, the valuations they were getting. And I've always felt that kind of disappointing. So, yeah, I would like to see more of our Bitcoin companies, especially the big ones, to, to go the security token route. Um, you know, and kind of let's let's eat our own dog food, you know, rather than falling back on the on the traditional um, uh, finance uh, methodology. Yeah, no, I agree with you. As a Bitcoiner, first and foremost, I'd love to yeah. see some Bitcoin companies take advantage of this framework as well. Um, you guys just celebrated your second anniversary not that long ago. Um, yeah. What are some of the landmark achievements that really stand out to you? Yeah, I think so. There's been quite a few. I think maybe over the last 12 months, I think, um, uh, I think maybe over the last 12 months, one of the, the first big one of the year would be uh, opening the office in AIFC. Uh, that was a big one because, as you know, I don't know if people know this, but Bitfinex, Bitfinex just in general is a very decentralized company. We don't have that many offices. So it's a big deal to open up a physical office in, in AIFC and then assigning dedicated headcount to work there with the regulator and then to focus on various opportunities across Central Asia. Um, another big one, I think, was uh, that kind of followed through from that was our MOU with the AIX that I mentioned. I think that was, you know, just it's just really great to have, um, you know, that kind of opportunity uh, to to explore security tokenization and dual listings. I think for them to do that was, um, you know, pretty forward looking and very front foot to them to embrace the technology to that degree. Um, also, the establishment of the El Salvador entity and then being the first global platform to receive that license, that was a big accomplishment. Um, and then this week, the launch of our second asset on the platform um, and one of the world's first tokenized bonds. I think those are all big things that we've done in the last uh, 12 months or so. 
And then going forward, I think there seems to be a lot of demand and interest in, in conventional securities world around what, what they're calling real world assets. Um, and our thesis for a long time was that, you know, the technological advantages of the digital asset space and of Bitcoin, we're going to pull in a lot of these mainstream institutional investors and we'll see more participation from them. Um, and, I, and I think increasingly, although at the moment it seems like it's mostly talk and relatively little action, um, I think that's becoming consensus. Um, and then, you know, I think more generally, you know, uh, that what's going on in El Salvador is also is also very, very ex exciting. And we've spent a lot of time working with, you know, regulators and policymakers in El Salvador. And we're going to start running our, you know, the first of our applicants uh, through the listing committee on our end over the next couple of weeks. And then hopefully start bringing some of the first issuances to market in maybe the second half of January next year. Um, so I think, again, the next six months are going to be really exciting for the security token industry. How involved is that process of bringing your applicants through like the approval process? Yeah, I think so. The, the approval process in both regimes are, you know, it, basically it's that um, someone will reach out to us. We'll do an initial kind of screening with them um, to make sure that something that we want to do that's commercially viable that we think people will buy. And it looks like it fits neatly into like kind of generally the areas that we want to that we want to do. Um, then we do document collection. The issuer will fill out a listing application. They'll open an account on Bitfinex Securities. That's where they upload all their corporate documents. And then we'll do various run-throughs with the listing committee. So the listing committee will have people from the technology side, from legal compliance, from business side, and then we'll all evaluate the documents that have been submitted and the proposed project and kind of do an evaluation of it. Um, once that passes, then it goes to the regulator for, for their sign-off. Um, in uh, El Salvador, there's an additional step where there's a certifier that has to sign off on the authenticity of all the details and documents that have been submitted. But for both both regimes, that's generally kind of very high level what the process is, is like. And how does that approval process stack up to like the traditional IPO process? Um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's generally kind of the same, um, but the documentation requirements and the risk disclosures are kind of a little bit higher if you want to. So, I mean, for us in, in, in the AIFC, if we want to have access to, we can, we can facilitate retail investments or kind of like accredited professional investments as well. Um, and the difference is for retail, it's a full prospectus, which really isn't that different. It's exactly, it's exactly the same in the AIFC um, as for a conventional or a tokenized issuance. The El Salvador regime is slightly more novel. They've got a defined um, document, offering document that they used um, called a relative information document. And they've got a, a number of requirements that are set out in that and then you have to go through and complete that. So I think the process is 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 um, is pretty similar to um, the conventional securities process. I think we can go through it a little bit faster. Um, in, in the AIFC, we have the opportunity for some waivers and things like that for you know to kind of um, uh, help issuers get through the process. But I think it's not that dissimilar, but it, it moves pretty quickly. I wanted to ask you real quick about the role of Tether products in microfinancing and any potential synergies that may exist there. Yeah, so we had an announcement um, a couple of months ago with Microcapital. So Microcapital is a microfinancing company that manages um, Alternative, which is the securitization fund that is issuing the bond. Um, and we announced an MOU with them to do two things. The first of which was to explore opportunities for to tokenized securities. Um, basically, they've got a long track record of issuing conventional bonds. Um, and then taking that money and going out and, and lending it to small and mid-sized businesses across Eastern Europe, 
um, uh, in Asia and and uh, and in Central Asia as well. Um, and uh, the, the second thing was to uh, was to look at applying uh, tether products in the microfinancing industry. Um, and and I think that's a, a really I think most people when they think of microfinancing they think very much of brick and mortar businesses. But um, you know we had Vincenzo Trani, who's a president and founder of Microcapital. He also joined our our panel at Lugano um, Plan B. And he kind of made the point that increasingly the kind of businesses they're lending to are online businesses. And it's people who want to receive, you know, the, the, the proceeds of their loan. They want to receive it really quickly because they're working on something that's online and it moves very quickly. So in that kind of situation, um, Tether could be uh, really useful uh, to their business. Um, so they're at the point now where they're investigating how to, how to, how to, what the regulations are and how they go about implementing that into their business. But it's really exciting. I think both, um, you know, Bitfinex and Microcapital were kind of, um, you know, looking at filling some of the gaps that aren't completely, um, you know, in the traditional banking system. We're coming at it from different perspectives, but we're both kind of trying to achieve very similar goals, I think, which is really interesting to see. You guys had the honor to be the first uh, recipient of a digital assets license in El Salvador after they passed yep. the digital asset law. Uh, have you guys seen like other uh, entities come into El Salvador looking to kind of replicate what you guys have done? Yeah, and there's another, uh, I think there's 12 DASPs in total that have been uh, licensed and registered, and you can check those out on the SENAD website, um, CNAD, the National Digital Asset Commission. Um, they've got a pretty good website that lists all the, the various DAS, DASPs that have received a license. So there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of other people in there. I think um, we're probably the only one that are kind of working on these uh, security-like products. I think everyone else is doing more kind of conventional crypto assets, um, but we'll have to see how that plays out over time. As far as like launching in El Salvador, you guys mentioned that you have a pipeline that you're ready to start yep. moving on uh, this coming January. Uh, are you able to kind of shed some light on what type of offerings these might be? Sure. Yeah, it kind of runs the gamut. So we've got people looking at doing at hash rate contracts. We've got uh, a number of different um, kind of uh, debt bond issuances. Um, and we've got some companies looking to do equity kind of type structures as well. So it, it really it really runs the gamut. Um, um, but yeah, we've had quite a bit of interest in the regime. Um, and, and people are really keen to start, I think, moving forward with their issuances. As far as uh, Astana goes, you guys mentioned that you also have a pipeline there. Um, yeah. Are they similar types of offerings as the kind that you just described here for El Salvador? I think we tend to see in us in so uh, the AIFC is built off of British common law. So I think a lot of for a lot of European issuers, it's uh, it's just a very familiar structure, um, and I, and it seems to appeal to kind of larger, more mature companies, and also um, people that are focused on doing uh, accredited or professional offerings. It seems to attract them a little bit more. Um, you know, I really would like to do a, a full prospectus or retail offering out of there. We've got a couple in the pipeline as well. Um, so hopefully we can get one of those off in the next couple of months as well. What is the thing you're most excited about uh, as far as tokenized securities goes for 2024? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited about the whole El Salvador regime because there's just such a buzz around it. Um, and it's and it's it's a place I think where we can really move the needle. So I really want to start getting some issuances done through El Salvador, um, and and I think El Salvador could be really you know just as you know just as El Salvador was the first country to adopt Bitcoin as it as its currency. I think you know them being the first one to adapt 
adopt Bitcoin-based capital markets, I think is really going to kind of kick in the door for for other other countries as well. And once other countries look and see that they can do this, and they've kind of you know demonstrated this proof of concept, I think we're just going to have a lot more countries and jurisdictions that are going to be really excited about trying this. So I'm really looking forward to getting some assets um, out the door and, and to the market in, in El Salvador. Aside from uh, Central Asia and, and El Salvador, uh, Latin America, do you, yep. you see any other um, like friendly regulatory spots for, for pursuing these kind of uh, offerings? Yeah, we're, we, we have calls all the time. So, you know, as you know, Giles Dixon, our head of licensing, he's kind of looking at this stuff and there's there's different ones popping up all the time and we're trying to keep on tra- keep on top of them. Um, I think there's going to be more over time as we de- demonstrate, you know, this is a proof of concept. Um, but there seems to be it seems to be a trend. And I think, you know, this this trend within the banking industry of real world assets, um, you have even people like Larry Fink talking about how you know, he sees capital markets moving in the way of uh, of, of tokenization. Um, I, I think I, I think that that's the long term trend is very much in that direction. So over time, I think we'll see more jurisdictions uh, starting to do this. Have you seen interest from any other like more well established financial centers, like say Singapore or Hong Kong or uh, Tokyo, um, show interest in these tokenized security offerings and possibly like introducing regulation to to make them possible? Yeah, I think in Hong Kong in particular, there's in Singapore, there's been quite a bit of news. Um, you know, I, I'm slightly skeptical. I, the the incumbents there have, um, you know, they've dug pretty deep moats, and I think it's difficult to um, do business as, you know, to do to the kind of tokenization that we want to do. I think is is probably a little bit difficult, um, and I haven't seen anybody in those regimes do what I would consider to be proper tokenization. Um, so, you know, we, we definitely, you know, look forward to them to embracing this kind of uh, opportunity. But at, at the moment, I'm slightly skeptical that we'll see, you know, you know, opportunities that we have like in the AIFC or in El Salvador in some of these more mature regimes. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that is important for our viewers to to know? I mean, maybe the only other thing we could go through is the benefits of tokenization. I mean, we touched on that long time last time, but maybe we can do a quick review on that. Yeah, let's give them a recap. Yeah, I think I think the benefits of tokenization, I normally break that into kind of like three groups, right? On the trading side, on the issuer side, and then for the investors. And on the trading side, I think it's the stuff that, again, that we're used to as, as Bitcoin investors and Bitcoin traders is 24-7, 365 trading, global liquidity, real-time settlement. I think real-time settlement is really a big one. So most of my, you know, all of my traditional financial markets experience was here in Taiwan. We trade uh, 9 until one thirty. Uh, is T plus two settlement. So, you know, when you when you sell your TSMC on Friday, you don't get your cash until the following week. Um, so if you're a hedge fund and you make your money by churning capital, that's kind of a bit of a problem. So I think real-time settlement is a real benefit, not only for, you know, hedge funds just in terms of capital efficiency, because they can take their money and then churn it again, but also maybe in risk management too, because you can take your capital off the platform and you can do something else with it. So I think that's often kind of overlooked as a major benefit of, of, of tokenization. Um, on the issuer side, because we're able to disintermediate so many of the middlemen, it means, you know, as we said kind of at the beginning, that we can we can um, offer our services at a much lower cost basis, which means that we can go out and access uh, we, we can offer our services to you know small mid-sized enterprises. We can offer our services to to, to issuers kind of all around the world and in places that have kind of been overlooked by traditional capital markets. 
And then finally for investors, you know, I think technology like Blockstream's liquid network, it means you have a lot more control over your own assets, right? Through transfer restricted assets where you can set up these whitelists, investors are able to self-custody their assets, you can pull them off the platform, you can send them to other exchanges for arbitrage, um, and even trade them peer to peer with whitelisted counterparties. So I think from a securities perspective, that's just really revolutionary. Um, and then there's more exotic functionalities that I think will emerge over the next couple of quarters, things like increased granularity on voting um, and, and increased granularity on dividend distribution. So typically dividends are paid out quarterly or semi-annually, but you know, why don't we have them monthly or weekly or daily or or just or just stream them? So I think all of that stuff is really exciting. And and, and in many ways, um, you know, security tokenization is about returning some of the control that has been eroded over the past couple decades of securities law um, um, back to investors. So I think that's a, a trend we, we we're definitely excited about. You mentioned like the the types of offerings that Bitfinex Securities is focusing on yep. um, being like traditional securities offerings. But do you see like tokenization of commodities as like a potential market in the future? I think definitely, yeah. So we're, um, you know, we're, our, our license in the AIFC doesn't cover that. It basically covers three things. It covers equity, debt, and um, and funds. And then in El Salvador, you kind of have a, a broader remit. Um, so we can we can cover things like tokenized commodities or, you know, other kind of more novel things like different structures for hash rate contracts. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something that I think we're excited about and, and, and looking at exploring. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I think that's it. I mean, I would say go check out Alt 2611, our tokenized bond offering, 36 month bond, 10% coupon, raising in Tether. Uh, dividend distribution will be done in, in, in Tether as well. Um, take a look at that. And I'd say, you know, as always, um, sign up to the platform now. Um, when El Salvador gets going, I think there'll be a rush. So beat the rush and sign up now. When will the, uh, the tokenized bond from MicroCapital be active? It's active now. Yeah, you can go oh, look it at is. it now. You can go sign okay. up now. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, letting me ask you a whole bunch of questions about tokenized securities again. No, it's great. It's, it's always good talking with you, Ricardo. I appreciate the opportunity.